It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 Three one three eight one four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you into the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, April 16th, 2015. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, well, I'm not sure who this is on the other side of the table tonight. I've uh, been gone a couple I, of weeks. Glad to be back. Good to be back. Uh, my father, Greg Gwynn. I've been missing you for the last two weeks. Thanks and, to everybody for taking up my seat while I was gone and uh, been looking forward to getting back. Yeah, we're glad to have you back. And uh, back behind the controls. Okay, back behind the controls tonight. We don't have cameras? Um, well, not on you. Okay, we okay. can't see you, but we'll okay. work on that. Uh, yeah, yeah, it might be. Okay, uh, Monty Overton's back behind the boards tonight. Monty, thank you for being here. Jacob's good to see you tonight. And thank you. you've got your helper, your wife, Tina, is right. sitting beside you. But I'm glad to have Tina with us tonight. And uh, we've got an interesting and important program planned for tonight. Uh, you want to introduce our guest? Okay, we, uh, we received an email uh, uh, two or three weeks ago from a... A uh, fellow who has listened in the past to virtual Bible study over some time, uh, Mohan Krishna. He is in uh, Chicago, Illinois. Uh, he's associated with the Garfield Ridge Baptist Church in that city. Uh, he he works a secular job but is involved in the work of that local congregation and does some online uh, work as well. Uh, and uh, But it, it is a Baptist church and... Uh, Mohan has indicated an interest in responding to a program that we did over five years ago. We did a program, questions uh, that we'd like to ask a Baptist, and Mohan says he'd like to try to answer those questions. And so, Mohan Krishna, welcome to the Virtual Bible Study. Yes, thanks very much for having me on. Yeah, it's good to, good to talk to you, Mohan. I, we've gotten some emails from you over the years. Uh, I, I don't know how, how, how did you find out about the Virtual Bible Study several years ago? Oh, well, I heard a debate on sermonaudio.com between the Church of Christ. I think you had the Bible Forum a few years ago. I we listened did. to that. Okay. And uh, they're the ones that um, where I got your information from. Great, okay. right. great. Well, we're, i, I got to tell you, Mohan, we're very excited to, to have an opportunity to talk with you. We think open discussion of religious differences is a very valuable thing. Unfortunately, as I think you probably know, in our day and time, a lot of people feel no compulsion to defend their religious beliefs. They, they, they pretty much have the opinion, you know, you believe what you believe, I believe what I believe, everybody's okay, nothing matters. We don't, we don't accept that philosophy, and, and I think that you don't either. And so we're, we're grateful that you uh, have shown an interest in responding to some of these questions. Now, the way yeah, this developed, yeah, and we, Mohan, we've, I've, I've tried to get people to talk to us who would probably think a lot like you on some of the topics we'll talk about tonight and they just put me off so we don't want to talk about that one guy said i think that is like coffee shop theology in other words it doesn't matter but the things we're talking about are of eternal consequence tonight and so moan thank you for for being willing to talk about these issues and hopefully we can come to a better understanding 
of what the scriptures teach as a result of our talk tonight. And now the way this came about, as I mentioned briefly a minute ago, we did two programs back in 2009. In one program, we dealt with uh, an article or a website uh, posting uh, that a, a Baptist preacher had said, here are some questions that the Church of Christ can't answer. Well, we tried. We made our effort to answer those questions. We thought we could answer them effectively. Then, so the next week, we posed questions that we think a Baptist might have difficulty answering, and that fella did that did not respond to us. We tried to get him to respond. He did not. So we just basically posed the questions and talked about them on on that program. But Mohan, you have suggested that you're interested in in uh, addressing those questions, and so. What we're going to do is give you uh, several minutes here to sort of, you, you have got eight questions that you picked out of that uh, interview that you want to address, and we're just going to sort of give you a, a free reign to, to uh, here for the first few minutes to go through those questions and give us your responses. Okay. So go right ahead. Question number one, why do some Baptist churches have creed books if the Baptists believe only in the Bible? Well, in regards to that question, I wanted to first start off by saying that um, there are differences, you know, between churches that have a label Baptist, just like the Church of Christ. You know, I'm sure there are differences between um, churches that have a label Church of Christ. So we can't lump all of them into one category. However, you know, there are many churches with a label Independent Baptist, just like our church, Garfield Ridge Baptist Church. So I can speak on behalf of... Um, several independent Baptist churches that believe as we do. And we're autonomous. We're not a denomination in the sense that there's a hierarchy where we report to. Um, we only follow the Bible. We believe in Revelation 22 that we're not to add or take away from the Bible. And I believe very strongly in that scripture that we dare not tamper with God's word, that um, we don't add our traditions like Mark 7 verses 1 through 13 says, um, we're not to add traditions that are contrary to the Word of God. So the Bible is our only authority. Our authority is not the Bible and the creed, but only the Bible. That's what we follow. And I'm not sure of the creed that you mentioned on the program, but our church has a doctrinal statement, uh, and other churches may have creeds to express what they believe. And the reason we have a doctrinal statement on our website is... Um, so that someone who's trying to find a church, uh, they see what we believe, you know, because there's so many people. You know, most people who call our, call themselves Christians really are not. Eh? And um, there's so many, there's a lot of apostasy out there. And uh, so we want to clarify to someone who's trying to find a church exactly what we believe. Eh? Okay. And... Uh, no. So, so you um, so, uh, so to summarize, Mohan, then you would you would disavow any kind of human creeds as well. It sounds like. Um, what was that? I don't think I can hear you. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I, I said you would in in summary you would basically say that uh, you you don't agree with any kind of human creeds as well. We just need to stick to the Bible. Well, if we have a creed to, as far as a doctrinal statement, that's okay. But if we have that as our authority, no, it's not um, okay to put that about the Bible or equal with the Bible. It's just an expression of what we believe, basically. Um, like we have on our website on Garfield Ridge Baptist Church, we have a statement of what we believe. And it's just like, you know, preaching and writing books. And when we evangelize, we don't just tell people to read the Bible. We explain 
salvation plan, we expound the salvation plan like Philip did to the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. And as far as the name Baptist is concerned, um, again, as I mentioned earlier, there are many groups that call themselves Christian in this day and age. And we need to separate from false Christians, you know, those who call themselves Christians but really are not, like Romans 16 Verses 17 through 18 says we're to mark them that cause divisions. Um, however, in Luke chapter 12, verses 49 through 54, Jesus said, you know, he came to divide. So we divide in order to, for the truth, to stand up for the truth is the reason that we divide from other religious groups, because we want to follow only the Bible. We don't want to follow man-made tradition. So we want to separate from error. Um, you know, we believe... Um, Salvation is by grace alone and by repentance, and we don't uh, call ourselves Presbyterians because we don't follow infant baptism. That's the tradition people have come up with. We are not Pentecostals because we don't think the Bible teaches that tongues, speaking in tongues, are for today. So to make it easier for others, uh, we wear a label, and we don't think, you know, that the Bible dictates what label we're to wear, you know, there are other churches also that believe just as we do, like Bible churches, fundamentalist churches. They may have different names, but they believe uh, uh, many of those churches that don't have a name Baptist, they believe just as we do because we follow the same book. So out of convenience, you know, for someone trying to find a church, that's the reason we wear the label Independent Baptist. Uh, and... Uh, if you look at history, you know, um, throughout history, before the 1600s, you asked the question, I think, on a program, where was the Baptist Church before the 1600s? They were called by different names, but they practiced the same thing we do, you know, um, the same biblical principles. They were called Waldensians, the Donatists, the Lollards, and the Anabaptists. And um, so, you know, Baptists are not Protestants. We didn't come out of the Roman Catholic Church we believe that there were true churches before the 1600s, but they went by different names throughout history. And, um, you know, a question I would have, you know, um, is, you know, does the Church of Christ have a, do they have a doctrinal statement? Do they write books? And is College View Church of Christ specifically mentioned in the Bible? And where was the College View Church of Christ before it was started? So... You know, it's a proper name, you know, Garfield Ridge Baptist Church is a specific, proper name to distinguish ourselves, uh, you know, from other churches, uh, and okay. that's the purpose of a label there. All right, let's 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 move on to some of these other questions, then, Mohana, and, and again, I think we can come back and revisit a couple of those statements a little bit later, but what about rebaptism? Do you all practice rebaptism? If someone was going to come to your congregation from some other Baptist church, would you teach them that they need to be baptized Maybe they've already been baptized in the past, but would they need to be rebaptized to identify with your local congregation? Well, in regards to that question, we believe in believers' baptism, that um, after someone becomes saved, then they become baptized, as we see in Acts chapter 8, the Ethiopian eunuch, the Philippian jailer, and Lydia. If they were not scripturally baptized properly before, then that's not baptism. They just got wet. If they were, say, for example, if they were baptized as an infant, or if they were baptized when they were in an unsaved condition, or they were baptized in a church with a false gospel, that's not true baptism. They just got wet, wet, and in that case, if you want to call that rebaptism, then yes. But if they were scripturally baptized, you know, as a saved person in a church that preaches a true gospel, 
And no, we wouldn't re-baptize them if they were scripturally baptized before. Okay. All right. I understand your answer. Again, I, I want to reserve a, a little more questioning along these lines to the second segment here. But I want I to think get what to... we're seeing is that Mohan's beliefs are may, maybe somewhat atypical from most Baptists and are they're unique. Yeah, yeah. Would you agree, Mohan, that uh, that probably the, the Independent Baptist Church that you're identified with probably would not be uh, hold the same views on some of these questions as, say, a typical Southern Baptist Church or something of that order? Yes, that's correct. The Southern Baptist Church, their denomination, as far as I understand, they have a hierarchy where they report to, and they're okay. a convention, and but they don't believe in a... separate. They don't believe in separation like independent Baptists. Do we believe in Romans, the, the scripture I quoted, we're to separate from false doctrine, we're not to be ecumenical, and because we want to follow the truth, that's the reason we're separate. But the Southern Baptists, yes, they have a lot of differences. Okay. But I believe the, ori- I believe the original Baptists uh, in the 1600s, they were just like our church, just like independent Baptists, but there has been a lot of apostasy since then, and there have been Groups that have been formed in the um, churches that label themselves Baptists. Okay. All right, let's move on to another question. Why do some Baptist churches practice the sinner's prayer for salvation? Where do we find an example of that in the Scripture? Okay, that's a very good question. Um, I needed to mention that there are two groups in the Independent Baptist camp. One group uh, believes in the false view of easy believism or quick prayerism, that all you have to do to get saved is intellectually believe in Jesus without repenting of your sins, and um, that's uh, groups like Jack Hiles, they follow that, and we have nothing to do with that. I think um, it's a damnable heresy to tell someone that if you just quickly pray, repeat after me prayer, then you're saved. It has led millions of people to hell. Um, however, um, we believe, um, you know, to be saved, you have to trust in Jesus alone for your salvation, and repent of your sins, which is a willingness to turn from your sins and start following Jesus and become a disciple of Jesus. The evidence uh, you know, of us receiving the free gift of being saved by grace alone is that we'll have a desire to do God's will, as First John says. But in regards to the prayer, you know, um, having said that, someone like the publican in Luke chapter 18, 9 through 14, if someone does pray out loud, that does not save them. We don't believe that saves them. You know, they can pray a hundred times, and that does not mean anything unless they trust in Jesus alone and repent of their sins. But it may simply indicate what's going on in their heart, you know. We don't know for sure if someone is sincere or not, but, you know, someone like the publican who's verbally expressing himself, he's just indicating, you know, the publican is indicating what's going on in his heart. He's outwardly manifesting that. But, no, our church does not believe uh, I personally, when I go out evangelizing, I give them the gospel, and if they're interested in learning more, I ask them to read the book of John if they're interested, because I don't want others to trust in me, but I want them to see for themselves from the scriptures what the plan of salvation is. Okay, all right. Again, some more. I'll have some more questions along those lines in a minute, but let's keep moving forward. Number four, does the doctrine of eternal security believed by Baptist churches mean someone can live however they want to and practice gross the gross sins listed in Corinthians without repenting? Uh, what's your position on eternal security, Mohan? Could a person just uh, absolutely engage in every kind of imaginable wickedness after having been saved and still maintain his right relationship with God? 
Well, we do believe in eternal security because in the gospel it says we have eternal life. You know, we can't lose eternal life. We're not on probation. Um, however, having said that, we have to clarify something here. We know that the Holy Spirit changes as we're new creatures in Christ. As Second Corinthians chapter five verse seventeen says, um, we're new creatures in Christ once we become saved, and we have new desires. So we don't want to practice sin. You know, we'll have a desire as a result of salvation, to read the Bible, to evangelize, to pray, and go to church. It won't be a burden. The problem is, you know, so many people profess Christianity. They say a prayer like in these other false independent Baptist churches which believe in easy believism. They say a prayer, and they get tired, you know, of, uh, it's a burden because they're not really saved. The Holy Spirit does not reside in them. But someone who's truly born again, who has truly trusted in Jesus alone and repented of their sins, They'll have the characteristics of First John, you know, if we say we know him, we'll keep his commandments. That will be the result of our salvation, not the cause, the good works go from uh, being saved by grace alone. So no, we can't, we don't want to live however we want to. We want to follow God when we become God's disciple. And I do believe in First Corinthians, absolutely, that someone who's living in fornication or adultery or what have you, you know, they're not really saved, they're showing... By living that lifestyle, they're not truly born again. They may have paid, prayed a prayer, and that, but that doesn't mean anything as we discussed before. Okay. So we can rightly tell them, you know, no, you're not really um, truly saved if you're living in gross sin like that, and you you have no desire to change. Okay. Now, and um, I knew that our time was going to be cramped here. We're running over, but on the break, let's continue, I guess, to go through. This. Yeah, let's get through these questions, and then we'll take a quick break and come back and ask uh, some follow-up questions. Mohan, we got uh, four more quick questions. We want to go quickly, Mohan. Here, this is just a follow-up to that question. Five was in the parable of the sowers in the gospel. You, uh, I think, all of our listeners are familiar with the parable of the sower. There were yeah. some who believed for a while and fell away. How do you explain that in light of eternal security? Okay. Um, a principle of Bible study is that um, the same word can mean different things. So you have to allow the context of the Bible, and the whole Bible, to dictate what the definition is of the word is by comparing Scripture with Scripture. Um, for example, you know, the word for, you can say, take. Uh, I'm going to take an aspirin for my headache. And or you can say I'm going to take a bath for getting rid of the mud on your on my body, and that's the same word for, but it means two different things in different contexts. The word believe and faith is the same thing, you know. I believe in George Washington intellectually that he existed, but I'm not trusting in him to do anything for me right now. And we may have temporal faith also, you know. We can trust in Jesus to get us safe on a trip, but that's not saving faith. We have to make that distinction between saving faith and just intellectual faith. Saving faith is trusting in Jesus alone for our salvation. It also entails repentance. Repentance and faith go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. But those in the, in the parable of the sword, they didn't have true belief, or they didn't repent. You know, they believed intellectually and may have even joined up uh, with the group or something like that, but they didn't have true saving faith. So that's the distinction we have to make, the believing for a while, uh, means that they, they never were truly saved to begin with. 
Okay. All right. Let's keep moving. Number six. Also, the, the demons believe. James two nineteen says the demons believe, but they're not saved. They're not trusting in Jesus alone to get them to heaven. In James two nineteen, okay. they just have an intellectual understanding of the gospel. All right. Number six. What's the, what is the Baptist understanding of the scripture in James that says faith without works is dead, and that we are justified okay. by works? James two. Yes, that's a good question, and we definitely believe in that scripture works. What it's saying is that um, works result uh, as a result of believing and repenting. There will be works in our life, you know. For example, you know, after we receive the free gift and the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we'll have that desire to, you know, read the Bible every day, to pray, and to evangelize, and um, to go to church and fellowship with the believers. But that's because we're saved. We're out of gratitude for what Jesus has done for us. We will have that desire. You know, the book of First John lays out the evidences of salvation, and it indicates that faith produces works. So if someone says that they have believed, uh, and the evidences in First John are not there, then they're not saved. Uh, um, and as far as justified, uh, I think that's uh, also part of that question. Um, as I said before, a word can have more than one meaning. Some places justified means saved, and in other places, like in the James passage, uh, we're justified by works. Uh, it means uh, the proof that we are really saved before other men. You know, we're justified before other men, that we're, we're really saved because we have good works, because good works will flow once we trust in Jesus and repent. Okay, then that leads to number seven. Uh what what do you believe about water baptism? Is it necessary for salvation or not? Well, water baptism is um, a result of salvation. It's the first act of obedience. Once we become saved, then we have to be baptized uh, in water after we are saved. It's not a condition for salvation because, you know, if we um, compare scriptures in the New Testament and Acts 15, particularly verses 10 and 11, we see that um, circumcision as an example, uh, you know, that um, we're not uh, saved by a physical act being performed. And baptism is a physical act, like circumcision, circumcision is a physical act. And in Acts chapter 19, we see that there were disciples and believers, uh, and while they were disciples, you know, already true believers, then they were baptized afterwards. There's no indication that um, they were not saved before they were baptized in that chapter. And we have to also ask the question, why would John baptize them, those people in Acts 19 who came for baptism, if they had not repented and become saved? And also Romans 4, 1 through 12 is another scriptures where we see that works and believing are contrasted. It's, uh, believing is resting in Jesus alone for our salvation. It's not a, um, believing is not a physical act like baptism, like water baptism is. And Abraham, we see in Romans 4, that Abraham was saved before physically being circumcised, before a physical act was performed. So we are sure that circumcision is a work. We see what an example of a work is um, in these passages. And in Romans 11, verse 6, we see that grace and works are contrary to each other. Okay, and finally, real quickly, because we want to get a break and then come back and, and review these questions and ask you some follow-up. Finally, what about yeah, what? And, your... and I want to get 
Mohan, you said you had three questions to ask of us in this regard that we haven't ever that you haven't. Yes, okay, yes, so I did. We'll, we'll get that on after the break. But real quickly, we had one last question. What about the King James Version? I, I don't know your position on some 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 uh, Baptist churches uh, take the position that we can only use the King James Version of the English Bible. Well, on the um, show, I listened to um, the um, statement that you made was not really accurate. Um, you said that um, for people in China that they need to use the King James Bible, but no, I don't know of anyone who believes that unless they're very extreme. You know, there are some extreme um, people who have some extreme positions like the Ruckmanites who believe that the King James Bible was re-inspired in the 1600s, but no, our church uh, does not believe that. Other okay. independent Baptist churches... I, I'm not sure... What, what we believe... Uh, I'm not sure what you, I think you may have misunderstood something we said about people in China using the King, we don't believe in the King James Version as the only, uh, but the statement you made is that you thought that we believe that, that Baptists believe that people in China um, should only use the King James Bible, oh. and that wasn't an accurate, that was not an accurate statement that was made okay, on that program. Okay, I understand what you're so saying. So I want to clarify what we believe here. What, what version do you use? What version do you use, Mohan? We use uh, the, the King James Version. What we believe is for the English-speaking people, the underlying text is accurate. Um, God has preserved his word in the King James Bible, but we reject the Westcott and Hort text, where they leave out verses, you know, um, they leave out so many verses. Uh, and we believe that God has preserved his word and that the underlying Greek and Hebrew text used in the King James Version is accurate, and others, like the Westcott and Hort, they're corrupted texts. So that's our stand on that. Okay, so... And you, uh, also... You, you just prefer the majority text, then, as a Greek basis for, for the English Bible. For the underlying text, uh, that's, that's the... We believe that God has preserved his word in those underlying texts, and for the English-speaking people... Um, we believe we should be using the King James because we don't need to have a new translation every year. Or, uh, it's really unnecessary, you know, to have all these new translations that are causing so much confusion out there where they leave out verses, have footnotes, and it makes you doubt God's word. You know, but the King James doesn't do that. You know, it doesn't have those footnotes that the new modern versions do. Okay. All right. We're going to take Mohan. Thanks so much. And, and you've done an excellent job, I think, of expressing yourself on these questions. We're going to come back. We're going to take a quick break. And by the way, stay with us because our, our phone line to you will go silent for a couple minutes. We'll be back to you. And we want to just review these and ask some follow-up questions. Yeah, yeah. And, and Mohan has three questions for us along the lines of baptism uh, yeah. that, that uh, we want to hear as well. And we want to hear your thoughts. There's some comments in the chat room. Send those in uh, and let us know your thoughts. Monty, run the bottom of the hour break. We'll take that break. And when we get back, we'll continue with Mohan. Stay tuned. Important discussion going on. We'll talk to you right after this. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. Matthew records Jesus saying these words, Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing, and one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father? Chapter 10, verse 29. But Luke records it this way. Quote, are not five sparrows sold for two farthings, and not one of them is forgotten before God? That's chapter 12, verse 6. Some have suggested that these two verses amount to a contradiction in the scriptures. But there's a simpler explanation. 
In that day, sparrows were caught and sold and eaten, if you can imagine such a thing. But then as now, sparrows were so common and numerous that they were of very little value. In fact, you could buy two of them for a farthing, about two cents. But it appears they were so cheap that if you bought as many as four, then a fifth bird would be thrown in for free. Thus, two for a farthing and five for two farthings. What's the point of all this? It's not intended as an economic lesson about the advantage of buying and selling in bulk quantities. It was rather an illustration used to emphasize the point that Jesus was making to his disciples, namely that God cares for and providentially protects his children. Or as Jesus said, quote, Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. And again, the very hairs of your head are numbered, Matthew 10, verses 30 and 31. God cares for us. What a wonderful thought. This should comfort us in life's harder moments. And, quote, if God be for us, who can be against us? Romans 8, verse 31. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Rick Harris, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. I hope you'll join me and many others in this weekly Internet Bible study group. Be sure to listen every Thursday night. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program tonight, talking with Mohan Krishna from Chicago, Illinois. He's a member of the Garfield Ridge Baptist Church there in Chicago. They are a independent, I guess fundamental independent Baptist church. And uh, he's been going over some of the things he believes and... Uh, distinguishing himself from uh, perhaps a majority of Baptists and uh, maybe distinguishing himself from our understanding of what a majority of Baptists believe, uh, as we stated in that program back in 2009. He's presented his arguments very well. We want to talk about those with him tonight. Mohan, we thank you for your answers. And, and I, I do I, I would characterize you as a non-typical Baptist. I mean, I, I've, I've studied through the years with many, many Baptists, and your positions on some of these questions are quite different from theirs. And I think you know that, uh, again, because you are not affiliated with uh, for instance, the Southern Baptist Convention and and others such as that. Uh, I want to go back quickly through these questions, and some of them we can just pass over very quickly. In regards to creeds, you stated that you don't have a creed that you hold as an authoritative doc, document, that you have a doctrinal statement, in other words, stating what you believe. And I don't think we would differ with that a lot. We don't typically do that, but we do publish uh, Bible tracts, and uh, we, we publish a bulletin every week, and we write articles explaining various Bible texts and what what we believe that uh, that, that the Bible is is saying in those passages. And so we're probably not very far apart on that. We we write things too, in which we just try to explain what we believe. All right, now onto the yeah. name on the name Baptist. Anthony in the chat room asked, but why use the name Baptist? And that's a question that comes to my mind, uh, Mohan. Is what does the name Baptist indicate? And can I go? Can I go to the Bible and find out that I need to be a member of the Baptist Church by looking at your name? Well, um, the, as far as the name Baptist is concerned, we use that. Baptist is a set of doctrine. You know, we we believe in the um, uh, uh, set of doctrines like believers' baptism that we're saved by grace alone. Um, and uh, by repentance, and most churches out there don't hold uh, to those views. That's why we have a label to distinguish ourselves from all the other churches out there. We don't have a label Church of Christ because almost all of the churches that have that label today believe that, you know, water baptism is a condition for salvation, and we don't want to be associated with that. So it's a matter of association. There are a lot of other independent Baptist churches out there that has the name Independent Baptist uh, um, that we want to associate it with. That's why we just have a name. That's why I indicated throughout history there have been different labels. So people uh, Mohan, have, got, have gone through, you know, in, in, throughout church history. Right. Could Mohan, 
could does it matter the name? I mean, could we just pick any name that we wanted? Could we call it the Church of Mohan? No, well, well, the Bible doesn't tell us um, what name we should have. And I, I asked the same question already. Like the College View Church of Christ is not found in the Bible. Also, the word College View before the word Church of Christ. Uh, well, the so College, college View, of course, is that's a reference to our location or our our, our local identity. But we are a Church of Christ. Uh, just uh, that would College View Church of Christ would be no different than uh, the Ephesus Church of Christ or the Corinth Church of Christ. That's just describing a location where that local congregation is identified. That, that that's all that we mean by that. We believe that Church of Christ is a biblical name. We read of congregations of God's people in the New Testament being called Churches of Christ. Romans sixteen verse sixteen. So. And we also believe it's descriptive of who owns the church. It is the church of or the church belonging to Christ. Jesus said in Matthew sixteen eighteen, I will build my church. It belongs to him. So we believe church of Christ is a descriptive of whom the church belongs to. But our question to you, Mohan, would be what does Baptist church indicate? Well, that's just a, a proper name. You know, the, the, there are common names in the Bible, church of Christ, as you mentioned, but I don't see that in the Bible mentioned as a proper name. Um, well, it, we don't really even identify, we don't even, I don't guess we'd even adamantly argue that it's a proper name. It's a descriptive. It's a descriptive. It's the church that belongs to Christ. It's the church of Christ. Could you call yourself, you, you said that you, you identify as a Baptist church because you believe, you believe the, uh, you know, the doctrine of believers' baptism and so forth. Could well, the you reason, call, yeah. could you I, I guess yourself, to clarify the Go ahead, go ahead. The reason I call myself a Baptist is because I believe that um, churches that wear the label of Baptist are the most faithful out there today. You know that wear the label Baptist. But you already um, said well, that we have to we have to look at their teachings to see what, exactly what they teach. Um, yeah. um, not the label, but um, what are they exactly teaching? So the, a lot of the independent Baptist churches they preach what the Bible preaches, and that's why. I identify with that group. It's not because of tradition, not because well, that's I, what I was brought I th- up in. I think uh, that's right. I, I think that mindset's a worthy one. I commend you for that mindset. But I, I, I really do challenge as to the appropriateness of of that name. Could you? I, I assume that you practice the Lord's Supper. Could you call yourself? Yes. Could you call yourself the Lord's Supper Church? Because it is. It identifies a doctrinal position that you hold. Well, as far as the name is concerned, uh, you know, there is nothing in the Bible that I can see which um, which dictates what the proper name we have to have for our church. Uh, and as you mentioned, you know, for the College View Church of Christ, you use College View because of the location. But again, uh, to be consistent, uh, um, that that expression is not found at all in the Bible. So to be scriptural, you have to, you know, um, use like uh, the church at Ephesus or church at Galatia want to be consistent with your view on that well I, I i don't i don't agree with that conclusion i i, I very much uh defend the use of a, a of a locality associated with a congregation i see we see that pre, uh, precedence in the scripture we need to move on mo on to summarize our view on it and uh and we may disagree on this but we believe that we need to have a, a name that is scriptural that we could read about in the Bible. I think you would agree there are some names that are inappropriate. There's the church of what's happening now. I don't think you'd say that would be an appropriate name for a church. Maybe you would. 
we wouldn't we wouldn't we wouldn't say that uh, naming ourselves the Lutheran Church is appropriate because we don't want to be it's not some it's not some man's church it's uh, the Lord's church and so we believe that we've got to we've got to there are names that are acceptable there are names that are unacceptable I'm assuming that you would make the same conclusion and so to assume to determine an, an acceptable name we say we need to have a name that we can read about in the Bible, and so so we can, we can leave we can leave that that there and uh, get on to yeah. Some let's of the other let, let's move quickly on to a couple other things here, Mohan. You you suggested when we ask about the sinner's prayer, and I really I never heard anybody say this before, and I commend you for saying you don't believe in easy believism. I think that's a, a, that's a neat phrase, and I I think that's right. Okay. <laughs> Um, yeah, and uh, yes, um, we need to make sure that we don't misclassify. You know, people who believe in a, all the people who believe in eternal security, or all the people who are Baptists, uh, that they all believe in just saying a prayer. You need to make sure that you you know distinguish uh, the different Baptist churches, the different people who believe in eternal security. We need to make that distinction. I, I agree that there are a lot of false people. You know. Um, False Baptist churches that, that that teach otherwise that you can live however you want to, but I reject that. Our church rejects that adamantly. We preach against it in our evangelism. Well, what about now? You you suggested that while you don't believe in easy believism, you you argued that one must trust uh, in Jesus alone for salvation. You also yes. indicated repentance as a condition. Um, and, and I think you summarized your view as believing in, in faith faith alone. You're saved by faith alone. Is that correct? Well, it depends on what your definition of that is. If you mean, you know, faith alone means resting in Jesus alone and also repenting, then yes, that's that's accurate. Okay, okay. Now that, that, that's where I that's where I have a, a problem because faith alone, if I have to repent, is not faith alone. Well, again, you have to see how how do people use that. I I personally don't use that expression, but some people who use it, you know, they they imply that you know oh. faith and repentance are connected together. Okay. You, know, you can't have you can't have one without the other. You can't have true saving faith without repentance, and you can't have repentance without true faith. So well, you know, you know, that's exactly what clarify. you know. That is exactly Mohan. That's exactly what we say. We say we are saved by faith. If you were to ask. Uh, any member, uh, at least any knowledgeable member of the Church of Christ, if you were to ask them the question, are you saved by faith, they would say yes. Because we understand that saving faith is coupled with obedience. And it includes repentance. It's a corporate term. It, it includes. Yeah, it includes repentance. Uh, what, what's your position on confession? Do you believe one must verbally confess Christ as the Son of God? Well, confession is, um, as we talked about earlier, you know, with the publican, you know, praying out loud. That was what was going on in his heart. That God looks at the heart. You know, salvation is not something outward that we do. Um, but the, um, those who confess uh, um, Jesus out loud—that's that, what's going on in their heart, basically. You know, um, that they truly believe in Jesus alone for their salvation. They believe that they're a sinner and uh, they repent of their sins. Could sin. a person but, be saved? But who no, it's wouldn't. not necessary to stand in front of a group or. Uh, a group of people and confess. Is that what you believe? Do you believe that you have to stand in front of an audience and confess uh, 
We don't have any. Re- we don't have any requirement about. We don't have any requirement about to what group or to what individual you might have to make that confession. No, but, but we do believe that confession is a condition of salvation. We would. We would. We would reference Romans ten verse ten for that, Mohan. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So we believe that we've got to confess our belief in Christ as the Son of God in order to be saved. So. Um, Again, you, you're not necessarily in the same. You don't agree with us completely on that point. But we I have think. the same. We have the same approach to understanding what when it says we're saved by faith. We have the same under, same approach to it as you do. In in that, it's not easy believism, as you've said, Mohan. You can't just believe and be saved. You've got there's other there are other things that are associated with that faith. That term faith. One of those you say is repentance. We would reference Romans 10, verse 10, to say you need to confess Christ as being the Son of God in order to be saved as well. But let's talk about baptism then, Mohan, because we would take that that same logic that you have used, which we think is right, to link faith and repentance. In other words, saving faith is a faith that's linked with repentance. We agree. We We would say that it's also linked with confession and baptism. Now, what about baptism? I mean, you, you obviously practice baptism, but you say you practice believer's baptism. In other words, baptism is something someone does after they are saved. We believe in yeah. we believe we, we practice believer's baptism as well, but we define it differently. You you would you would say that someone is is if you say they're saved at the point of belief, yet you've you've admitted they're not saved at the point of belief because you've got to repent as well. So if I believe that Jesus is the Son of God and I'm, I've yet to repent, am I uh, am I saved? Well, again, we have to go back. Um, what does belief mean? You know, it's not just intellectual belief. Uh, you know, like we discussed earlier in the parable of the sower. You know, some believe for a while and fall away. They were never saved because they just intellectually believed in Jesus. They trusted him for maybe physical needs. A lot of people, even the demons, believe. Uh, but they're not saved. Believing is completely, you know, surrendering to Jesus, uh, resting in Him alone, and um, and repentance. Uh, both of them have uh, happen at the same time. Okay, so if I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, yet I'm unwilling to repent, I'm not saved. No, because that's just intellectual belief. Believing Jesus is the Son of God, even the demons believe that. Okay. Okay. Now uh, we let, agree with that. Let, let me just run you through some verses that, uh, that that we believe teach the necessity of baptism. In Acts twenty two sixteen, now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Here's a person. This this was the statement made to the to Saul of Tarsus, and he was a believer, but he was still in his sins, and his sins would be washed away in baptism. What about that? Well, it doesn't um, say he was still in his sins. Uh, and the, the water baptism, it's a symbol of what um, the grace God has bestowed us. Uh, the blood of Christ is what washes us away from our sins, as Revelation says. So it's used symbolically. You know, just at the Lord's Supper, Jesus said that this is my body, this is my blood. Um, he didn't mean his literal body and blood when he, you know, had the bread and the the grape juice there, so that's symbolic. The um, the water baptism Moan, could I, mentioned in that passage. Moan, could I so stop, could I, symbolically Moan, washing away his sins. Moan, could I uh, could I stop you and ask for a, a, a scriptural reference that states that baptism is some, is a symbolic act? It, it doesn't. Well, um, we can go to Acts chapter eight. The Ethiopian eunuch, eunuch after he believed. Uh, 
then in verse 37, you know, he was asked the question, you know, do you believe with all your heart? And that indicates that he savingly believed. And afterwards, okay. Okay. Okay, you... he was uh, he was baptized. So the baptism in that example was a symbol for what actually happened. You're making, but you're making a jump. And, uh, Moan, you're making a jump there in Acts chapter eight to assume that the eunuch was already saved. If he was saved without baptism, and even in Acts chapter eight, if he was saved without baptism, Mohan, why did they? Why did he interrupt his journey and go to the inconvenience of being baptized on the spot when that could have been well, accomplished at any time later? I mean, why? why water, water baptism is a, a first act of obedience. You know, it's a command. You know, we believe in water baptism. That it's a command. We have to obey a command when God gives us a command. We have to obey it. It gives us the command of the Great Commission in Matthew that we have to go into all the world and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's a command. We are obliged to do that, whether it's for salvation or not. When God gives us a command, we need to obey it. And like the Philippian jailer also, you know, once they were saved, the first act of obedience was the water baptism there. You know, that, that, well, that's an interesting case too. It's amazing to me that if baptism wasn't essential for their salvation, that they would take the risk, that the jailer would have taken the risk to take Paul and Silas out of the prison in the same hour of the night and be baptized. Well, but you, when that could have been postponed for a day or two. And Mohan, your reason. Well, again, your reason, we have to um, compare all of these baptism scriptures with everything else the Bible says also, you know, with the, with the grace that we're saved by grace alone. And not by a physical act, like I mentioned already, the scriptures in Acts 15, Acts 19, Romans 4. We have to look at all of these in the light. You know, it actually, also talks about spiritual, it talks about spiritual baptism also in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, Acts 11, 6. So we can't immediately assume everywhere, um, that water baptism is being talked about. We have to also consider the spiritual baptism. Let me let me pose this to you, uh, uh, Mohan, that's been submitted in the chat room, and that is uh, reference to baptism in Acts and Romans chapter six. Uh, and Romans chapter six talks about uh, the the process of going from from being in sin to being reborn in Christ. Okay, I can answer that. Um, um, there's nowhere in that chapter you see water and baptism together. They're not together in that chapter. So we can't assume it's talking about water baptism, that chapter. Um, that seems to correlate with 1 Corinthians 12, 13, being I, and it also talks about the baptism of Moses elsewhere in the scriptures, where we are identified with Moses. So this is talking about being identified with Jesus, uh, the baptism here. So you, you do not believe that Romans 6 is talking about literal water baptism? No. What kind okay. of baptism is it? Spiritual baptism talked about in First Corinthians twelve thirteen. Um, well, that's a different view. I've not I've not studied that view. I've never heard a Baptist take that position on that on that verse. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body? You know, yeah. by the spiritual baptism. I, I actually think First Corinthians twelve thirteen is also talking about literal baptism, but of course it is by the one spirit we are taught. To be baptized into the one body, but that's that's another that's a whole other uh, subject to to dive into. But let me still on the question of baptism. We got to move quickly here. We're just all but out of time. But let me take you Acts two thirty eight. You believe in? Okay, rep- that's a good one. I can yeah. explain that. Yeah, okay. Um, uh, well, let me uh, read it. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. 
repent and yes, be right. baptized for the remission of sins. Now, you acknowledge the necessity that, that salvation is not before repentance, but here in this yes, passage, that, that's true. Yeah. Here in this passage, repent and baptized are linked. The conjunction and links repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. If we must repent in order to have the remission of sins, then we must also well, be baptized to have the remission of sins. Well, if you look at it carefully, it says, Then Peter said unto them, Repent, and then there's a comma, and be baptized everyone of you in the name of Jesus Christ for, you know, the word for can have two meanings as we discussed before. You know, well, wait a minute. Mean, I'm not going to let you go I'm not going to let you go there. I'm not going to let you go there because whatever the word for means, it means it in regards to repentance and it re- means it in regards to baptism. If, it's re- if repentance is necessary for remission of sins, then baptism is too. The same word applies no, to both uh, repent and be baptized. Repent comes first. Uh, repent comes first, and then, uh, you know, after I agree. you repent, I, you're I, saved. Uh, no, no, it doesn't say that. It says repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. If we must repent for, in order to have the remission of sins, then we also must be baptized in order to have the remission of sins. That Those two things are linked there, and the word for, whatever it means in that verse, applies both to repentance and baptism. You you, you understand my argument, at least. No, I'm uh, not seeing, because um, the, we have to look at the order here. You know, you first repent, uh, that's, that's number one. And then... Uh, it says, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. We can say it because of the remission of sins. It can mean that as well. You no, know, but if it means that, but if it means that, meaning, Mohan, you're, you're, you're avoiding my, my, my uh, presentation to you. If it means that in regards to baptism, it means that in regards to the repentance yeah, as well. Mohan, would you agree with the statement, repent for the remission of sins? Well, repent uh, depends on which meaning of the word for that you use. It's not okay. repent because of the remission of sin. Okay, okay. Would you agree with then? So, would you agree that you need to repent in order to have your sins remitted? Yes. Okay, and then so in that verse, that, but that, in this verse, it's not. That's not what's going on here in this verse. That uh, uh, it just says repent first, and then uh, uh, after uh, Mohan, if words after mean things, baptism comes. Now, if, if words mean things, then you then you, your argument is flawed because whatever that word means, it means in relationship to baptism and to repentance because they are linked there. Repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. I, I think that's a, a. I wish we had more time to talk about. It. I think that's a passage that you've got a lot of problem with in regards sh- to the position it, you're holding. It is a shame you're in Chicago, Mohan, because it would be great to sit down with you and talk where we had we weren't constrained by time. You had three questions for us along this line. Yeah, along this yeah, let me yeah, go, go ahead and ask that. And okay, I tell you what, I want to do, Mohan. I want to write these down because I really don't think we're going to have time to deal with them adequately. And we've got another uh, interview scheduled next week, but hopefully in a couple of weeks we can come back and revisit your questions more thoroughly. So let me make sure I get them accurate, and I would ask you to send them to me by email as well. Okay. Um, the first question is, uh, you use the verse John 3, 5 to say that um, um, water baptism is a condition for salvation, even though it doesn't use water and baptism together in that verse. But the thief on the cross, he came after John 3, chapter 5. So how would you argue that um, the thief was excluded from, uh, according to your theology, how would you make the argument uh, that the thief on the cross was excluded from John chapter 3, verse 5, which was written before 
the thief died on the cross. Okay, that's a good, a good, good question. Is that, that's, that's a, a worthy question. Good question. Good question. Okay, number two. Number two is on one of the programs I listened to. You said you know if someone is having a hard time trying to find someone to baptize. You said you know I'm. Um, you clarified that you don't have to be baptized in the Church of Christ. Anyone can do the baptizing. And you said, you know, if someone is having a hard time, you need to keep contacting someone. And my my thing is, you know, if I were in that predicament and water baptism was a condition for salvation, I would pay someone, you know, to water baptize me, and my salvation would no longer be a gift. But uh, the Bible says that our salvation is a gift. So how would you answer that is uh, okay. the second question. Okay. okay. Maybe make sure that I understand that. You're saying if you couldn't find someone to baptize you? Yes. Uh, then you may offer to pay someone to baptize you, and uh, then salvation would no longer be a gift in that instance. Well, uh, what if you were having trouble understanding the Scriptures and you needed someone to teach you as the Ethiopian eunuch? What if you couldn't read? What if you couldn't read? As the Ethiopian eunuch did. Would it, well, that that doesn't really, um, that's not a good analogy, because faith comes by hearing. The hearing is not a work we do, it's simply the Word of God. But you know, you, God, the, Spirit, the God, the Spirit draws us, God does the drawing, He opens our, uh, helps us uh, in understanding, you know, as we, as we go out and preach to others. Uh, it's not because of our eloquence someone understands the Scriptures, but because of God working in them, you know, drawing them. Okay. And in your, uh, okay, your number three. Okay, the last one is, um, let's see, um, what would you say to a minor child, you know, someone who's below 18 years of age, they're living in the parents' homes, and they have repented and believed, and they're ready to be baptized, but the law does not allow them to be baptized, and the parents won't allow them. What advice would you give them as far as baptism is concerned, what they need to do? Okay. I'd give them the same advice as I would the, the person in China who is forbidden from confessing their, their faith in Christ, uh, that you need to do what uh, God has said and uh, okay, obey God so, rather than well, man. Well, the question is, does you, would your church baptize a minor child? Yes. Okay, so you would, um, regardless of whether the parents have given the child permission or not, because I did read in the Church of Christ book, was by an author from the International Churches of Christ, where he said that um, you're not to baptize a minor person. Is what he said in that book. Yeah, we we, uh. we don't we wouldn't agree with their position their their views. We, we're separate from them. But uh, what but, about um, what, what Mohan? What about a what about a, a a child who's growing up in a household? His parents are atheists, and they say, "Son, you can't have a Bible." Would you give him a Bible to read and study? Oh yes, I would. But what I'm asking is your position. You know, on uh, because yeah, uh, I read uh, some. And our position, our position is similar. We would, uh, we would, we would do what uh, God has said for the child to do, regardless of what his parents have said. Okay, Mohan, okay. Uh, will you, if you'll formalize those questions for me and send them by email, uh, okay, we'll do our very best to answer. Them. Probably be a couple of three weeks before we get back to that, but we do want to deal with those because we think they're worthy questions. And the and the one on the Nicodemus and the thief, uh, that is the first time that's ever been posed to me. Have you heard that one before? Uh, not exactly, but I think it's answerable. It, yeah, I do yeah. too, but it's the first time I've heard Okay. Uh, Mohan, we kept you way longer than we uh, promised that we would, and so uh, apologies to you for taking up more of your time. But I do want to commend you again for your willingness to discuss our differences because, unfortunately, there are so many people in the religious world today who will not do that. I think we are clearly divided on some very essential doctrinal matters, but I do commend 
your good attitude and your desire to discuss these differences. And your approach to the scriptures as well. That you're, yeah. you're willing to study and discuss that. We didn't get to the discussion on once saved, always saved. Perhaps we could Mohan can join us again sometime. Maybe another about, time Mohan, we can. Would get you it. be willing to join us again, perhaps in the future? Yes, absolutely. Uh, all right, good. Uh, it's been beneficial for me, Mohan. I hope you can say the same as well. We really do. Okay, thanks very much. We really do appreciate you joining us tonight on the program. Uh, these are important issues. I think Mohan taking the time to join us. You show that you believe they're important issues. We believe they are as well. We want to be right in our understanding of them, and and uh, and so we've got to study and to make sure that we, we have a correct view. Uh, Dad, your thoughts? Well, again, thanks, Mohan. Thanks so much. We're going to let you go here, and, and we're just going to spend a couple minutes t- tying things up before the program ends. But, again, our, our, our uh, sincere thanks to you, Mohan. And, and, uh, and uh, folks in the chat room appreciate it as well, uh, Mohan, and, and, and appreciate your, your attitude and your, and your uh, desire to discuss these issues. So it was appreciated by the audience as well, so know that okay. as well. Okay. Thanks a lot. Thanks have a good evening. Have a great one. You too. We look forward to talking to you in the future, Mohan. Thank you. All right. Uh, very, very good discussion tonight, and uh, appreciate Mohan for, for taking the time yeah. to talk with us. Yeah, we, uh, there's a lot of loose ends here, Jacob, I think, uh, by virtue of, the, uh, of our discussion. We didn't get to question him about everything. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, and, and it, I thought it was interesting that in, in, in a number of regards, we were pretty close on things, you yeah. know, in regards to creeds or doctrinal statements. Especially the faith. That was the, the, yeah, the thing. Yeah, faith. Because lots of folks you talk about who believe in faith only don't understand the idea that faith could be a corporate term and it could include yeah. more than just yeah. acknowledge something intellectually. And yeah. so that was very that was very interesting. Yeah. And and so that in that in sense, as you said, we're close. And Mohan admits that I've got to repent. It's, I'm not saved at the point of belief that I have to repent as well. Yeah. And so it, and we think that it would be easy to accept. Then if I have to, if I accept that I've got to repent, it would be easy to accept that I've got to confess, as Romans 10 verse 10 said, very clearly. And we think it also be very easy then to accept that I've got to be baptized in order to be saved, Mark 6, uh, 16 verses 15 and 16. So. You know, there was, yeah, I think you're right. There were a number of things that we just had to kind of let pass. There was some discussion about works, uh, and, and Mohan wanted to tie in like Romans 4, Romans 11, talking about works. Those are works of the law, works of the law of Moses. We're not, we don't believe we're justified by those works either. Uh, and, and so you can't, he was saying, you know, words mean different things in different contexts. Well, the word works there in Romans often is a reference to works of the law of Moses, yeah. Yeah. and Paul was combating any any idea that works of the law of Moses were necessary for salvation. Okay. Monty, any thoughts from Monty's you? Sit there quietly and listen to all this. Well, like you say, I believe he's his beliefs are similar or are the same as ours in, in some respects, and they're obviously different in other respects, and so we just have to study the Bible. And as we said, if words have meanings, we need to see what those words mean, and sometimes the context does dictate to us what this word is representing in this particular place. So it just requires thorough study to make sure we accurately understand God's word. All right. We had some emails that came in, Jacob. We didn't even get to make a passing uh, reference to those. those uh, apologize Lucas, for... Aaron, and uh, Chris in the U.K. Uh, we, missed, uh, we missed all of your comments tonight. So we apologize for that. I, I would like to talk with Mohan in the future some more. Maybe we can do that over email. Maybe we could have him come back again and talk about the once saved, always saved difference that we have. Uh, he presented his side. We didn't really get to deal with it or, or answer it, and so we'd like to do that. But next week, we've already got a commitment, and we're looking forward to it. Yeah, our friend James Buchanan, 
who used to live right here in Columbia, Tennessee, but now is a resident of South Africa and is preaching there. He's back in the United States uh, visiting, and uh, he's going to be in Columbia next week, and we've asked him to come on the air. You know, he was with us before he moved right to South Africa. Right before he moved. Yeah, he's been and, there for three years now. Yeah, and so he's going to have a, a unique perspective on evangelism, especially evangelism in a foreign place, and some of the some of the do's and don'ts. I think probably he can he can he can give us some good insights as to uh, things that American Christians ought to avoid in regards to foreign evangelism and things that we ought to do more of. I'm looking forward to it. I think James is looking forward to it as well. I sent him an email asking him. I think within about five minutes he said, absolutely, I'll be there. And yeah. so we're looking forward to talking okay, with him. Okay, good. All right. All right. We'll look forward to that uh, next week. We hope you – oh, before we quit. Oh, we got to talk about this. If you're in Columbia. Yeah, if you're in anywhere within a driving distance of Columbia, Tennessee, tomorrow mm-hmm. night and then Saturday morning and then Sunday afternoon, we're having a special Bible study uh, conducted by Donnie Rader. He's been on the virtual Bible study before. We're going to talk about things that have – cause division among churches of Christ. You know, very often on the virtual Bible study, we talk about things that divide us with others in the religious world, but we're not blind to the fact that churches of Christ are not all united as they ought to be. There are things that have divided us, uh, and Donnie Rader is going to teach on those topics. He's going to talk about some of the things that have been divisive among churches of Christ over the last 50 uh 60 years yeah. uh, sometimes we call it institutionalism sometimes we call it liberalism sometimes uh, people refer to certain churches as anti-churches and we're going to talk about the orphan home question we're going to talk about the college question we're going to talk about uh, church-sponsored recreation social activities all of that friday night at seven saturday morning two lessons at 9 30 and 11 and then a final fourth lesson at 2 30 on sunday afternoon if you're in driving distance of Columbia, Tennessee, plan to come. You won't be sorry. If you can't be here, we're going to try to video those uh, presentations by Donnie Rader, and hopefully uh, early next week we'll get them up on our website. And we can podcast those as well. Okay. And we're officially out of time. All right. Thank you, Monty, for coming tonight. Thank you, Jay. Thank you, Dad, for your time. Thanks, Jay. Thanks again to Mohan uh, for joining us from Chicago. We really appreciated him being willing to do that and his, uh, his demeanor and the discussion, and we'll look forward to some more of that as well. Don't uh, make, uh, we hope you will make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.